0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We'll look at verses 1 through 11. I'm pray for us one more time. Holy Father, again we just thank you for the privilege it is to come together as a family of God at the beginning of the week to worship you and to join together and encourage each other. So God, I pray that you'd help us now as we look at your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come Just remove any distraction from us that would stop us from hearing your word. Help me be able to just preach your word this morning. I pray that you would just open up our hearts to be encouraged by what you have for us and to see Jesus for who he truly is. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We love a good rescue story, don't we? We'd love to see a good military rescue story, here about those uh, stories. In 2009, an American cargo ship was captured by some pirates about 100 miles off of Somalia. And the captain, Richard Phillips, was held captive with an AK-47 to his back, and the United States sent some U.S. Uh, snipers, three snipers out there, a ship to try to rescue them, and these. Three snipers who were in the middle of the night floating on a rolling ship were watching the scene. And two of the pirates stuck their heads up and they saw their shoulders and their heads. And then they looked in the window of the ship and they saw Captain Phillips with an AK-47 to his back. And they made the decision to shoot and all three of them at once shot and killed all three Of the pirates and rescued Captain Phillips. That's a good story, isn't it? We rescued captives. The bad guys got killed and they were able to bring him home to America. We love a good rescue. And Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, is a familiar account of Jesus and his temptation. It says this, then Jesus, and I start in verse 16 of chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. The temptation of Jesus, it's a familiar account, but it's kind of like Lake Michigan in some ways. We all know Lake Michigan is there. We all know about Lake Michigan. Some of us have actually seen Lake Michigan. We've driven past Lake Michigan. Some of you may have been on Lake Michigan. Some of you may have swam in Lake Michigan. Some of you may have uh, observed it. But Lake Michigan... Is very vast. It's very deep. And there's a lot about Lake Michigan that we don't know. And if you go into Lake Michigan and you start searching it, and the more you examine it, and the more you think about it, and the more you uh, spend time in it, the more you learn about Lake Michigan and the more impact it has on you. That's the same way it is when we read Mark chapter 4, 1 through 11, and the accounts in 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 Matthew, Mark, and Luke about Jesus and his temptation. It's kind of like this lake. You can read right past it and think, well, this is just about temptation. And that's just like driving past Lake Lake Michigan on Lakeshore Drive. You think you know what it's about. And so you kind of get a grasp because it says something about temptation. But what really are these temptations about and why are they here? And the more you start to think about who's being tempted, how he's being tempted, what he was being tempted about, why did they write it at this point, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and there's a lot to cover. So this morning, I'm not going to try to go through all of it, because I don't even understand fully all of it. What I want to do, is bring you bring it to the beach, throw us in the water a little bit, and help us as we think about what was going on when Jesus was tempted and how that affects and helps us. The account of the temptation of Jesus. Why is it here Why did Matthew decide to write it at this point after Jesus' baptism? Why is it put in his Gospels and the the Gospels three times? It's not just about temptation. And it's not mainly about how to help us deal with temptation and Satan. The account of the temptation of Jesus is to say to us that Jesus is fully committed to God's plan for our rescue. Jesus is fully committed. To God's plan. For our rescue. And there's three different types of people here this morning. There are some of you who are here. And you are just here today. You're not really a normally maybe a church going person. But you showed up today. and maybe you do come on a regular basis. But you just don't see how Jesus is really relevant to you. You just don't see it. You just don't understand how he has any impact whatsoever on your life. You just don't get it. And then there's another group of people here who they would say, you know what, they see, you see that Jesus is relevant to your life, but you don't fully want to follow all his ways. You're for Jesus. You see that he has impact for your life, but you're not really willing yet to want to follow Jesus in all his ways. And then there's a third group which says there's a group who says they see who Jesus is and they see him very relevant and you're desiring to follow Jesus in all his ways. Groups one and two are very dangerous because if you're in the group That doesn't see Jesus very relevant, or you kind of see Jesus as very relevant, but you don't want to follow in his ways, you're kind of like Captain Phillips who's captured. And if you're not rescued, you will be destroyed, and your life will come to ruin. But Matthew 4 1 through 11 is for all of us to say, you know what? don't want that to happen to you. God doesn't want that to happen to you. He doesn't want that to happen to us. And it was written so that we would know that Jesus is fully committed to God's plan for our rescue. So how do you get that out of the temptations? I really don't understand it. Because I don't see that at all. The idea of rescue never even came to my mind when I was reading this from 1 through 11. So... And I would agree with that. It's kind of hard to see it just jumping into Matthew chapter 4. Because we have to understand and go back to the beginning of Matthew. What is Matthew trying to do? Why is he writing this gospel in the first place? What is he trying to accomplish? All of Matthew, he's writing to a group of Christians. A group of new believers. And he's trying to say and remind them they are Jewish Christians. And he's saying, listen, this is who Jesus is. Don't forget it. He is the king. He is the Messiah that the Jews have always been looking for, and he's extremely relevant to you, he's telling these people. And 2,000 years later, the Gospel of Matthew says the exact same thing to us. Jesus is committed to our rescue, and it's relevant to our lives. And it's true for us today, as much as it was for the people he was writing to. Jesus is committed to our rescue, and Satan is committed to attempt to stop the rescue and to trying to ruin the rescue. But let's go back at the beginning. What is Matthew doing? First of all, you need to realize that God had a plan for the world at the beginning. He created the world he made it. He loved it. He put people in it. He wanted them to have fellowship with him. He was all for the world. And it was perfect. It was the way we wanted things to be. It was the way if we were honest with ourselves, we'd still wish things were. It was the way it was supposed to be. Everything was just the way God designed it. And then man said, you know what? I don't like this way. I think there's a better way. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve sinned and there became a crash in the universe, where we rebelled against God, and the we were in rebellion against God, and a devastation came across all of humanity. But at the moment, when Adam and Eve sinned, and all of us sinned there with them, which is why we all sin, we all fail, the things in this world are not the way they're supposed to be. And you know that. You know it deep down in your own life. If you would never even express that to somebody, you know, deep down, even by yourself, things are just not quite right. I make decisions. They don't go the way I think they should. Something's not quite right with my my life. I'm not fully satisfied. I'm looking for something. That's because at the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, in their perfection, perfect state, the way God intended it to be, rebelled. And then we all rebelled with them. And there was a crash. But at that moment, a glorious plan of rescue, the Bible says, was put into place. It was already there ready. But the moment of the fall, the plan began. So jumping into Matthew, it's kind of like jumping into the middle of the story. Because there's a whole lot of the story that relates to us today at the beginning. And Matthew's writing his gospel to remind people, hey, Jesus... Is the king. He is the fulfillment of the story. He's the rest of the story. He's the good news that you've been longing for. Jesus is your legitimate rescuer because you needed to be rescued. In Matthew chapter 1, he says it right at the beginning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he says this The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right at the beginning of Matthew. Matthew says, listen, you're not just jumping into the middle of a book. This isn't Star Wars, the second half. It is the second half, but there's a first half that you need to know about. If you don't know about the first half, the second half will make some sense, but not the full sense. And he says, listen, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Jesus is the Messiah. He is Yahweh. He is the one that the nation of Israel has been looking for to rescue them. And he says that about Jesus. And then verse verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 23 says, They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us jesus is our legitimate rescuer because he entered our world he came into our world where we rebelled against him he is our emmanuel he is god with us this was the promise that was given to david that a messiah would come That there would be a rescuer. They would come and relieve the people of faith, the people of God, and deliver them. And Jesus is the legitimate rescuer because he is with us. God came with us with all of our flaws and failures. Because you start the book of Matthew, and it says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, this is going to be a good story. And then all of a sudden, you spend about 15, 16 verses with genealogy, and you're like, this story's long, and it's a little boring. What's the point of telling us all about these people? The point of telling you about all those people is because all those people weren't perfect people. There were some messed up people who were in the line of Jesus' genealogy. He had some grandmas who were some wicked ladies. He had some grandpas who weren't such good people. He, he comes from not a perfect stock. He comes from real people who lived in real lives and who lived some pretty messed up lives, which means when the Bible says that God is with us, he is with us in all of us. He's with us in our flaws and our failures. He comes from flaws and failures, yet He himself was born of a virgin and was born perfect. He entered our world. God is with us. He's our legitimate rescuer because of that. He's also our legitimate rescuer because he walked the right path. And so Matthew takes the first chapter and says, listen, Jesus is with us. He's not separate. He's 100% man and he's 100% God. He was born of a virgin. But he understands because he's got family who was messed up. He understands. So he's with us. He's flesh and blood. But he's also God. And then in chapter 2, he says he's our rescuer because he walked the right path. Matthew chapter 2, verse 15 says this. After Jesus was born and there remained until the death of Herod. They went into Egypt and the Bible says that he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Which ties in what Isaiah said, that the, out of Egypt it was prophesied that the rescuer, the Messiah, the king that Israel was wanting was going to come from Egypt. And it was going to be the son of God. And it wasn't the nation of Israel. What this says is that Jesus is our legitimate rescuer because he entered our world and he walked the right path. The nation of Israel was the people of God, But they failed. Adam failed. Israel failed. But Jesus didn't fail, which means Jesus is the true Israel. He is the one that is all the Old Testament is about. All the Old Testament is about Jesus, the true Israel, not the nation of Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. He is the son. He's the one that walked the right path for us, which makes him our legitimate rescuer because we needed somebody who could walk the path correctly adam didn't do it moses as great as he was couldn't do it the nation of israel did not do it but jesus did because he is the true israel all of the old testament is pointing to jesus he is the king he's israel he is the true israel he's our our legitimate rescuer Because he walked the right path. In chapter 3, Matthew says, listen, he's telling him, listen, Jesus is your true rescuer because he entered your world. He knows, he's human, he understands. He walked the right path. He was perfect and he fulfilled all that was supposed to be fulfilled of him. And then he is your true rescuer because he is the beloved son who fulfills his role of rescuing as the suffering servant. Jesus is was baptized. Why would Jesus be baptized? John the Baptist's baptism was about repentance. So, why would Jesus be baptized? It was actually a very bold thing to do. Because if Jesus goes and be baptized, well, then somebody could say, see, he's not perfect. He didn't follow the way because he took John the Baptist's baptism. And that was about repentance. But he was sinless, he was a hundred percent. Sinless son of God and jesus said you know what i'm willing to take the risk To be baptized publicly in john's baptism because that baptism identifies me with people it identifies me with Fallen broken people like my grandma and like my grandpa and like you and like me And so jesus went into the waters of baptism and isaiah 1 says behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So Jesus was baptized to identify with us as sinners. And when he came up out of the water, God spoke. And he sent the Holy Spirit down to him and said, This is my beloved son. This is the true Israel. This is your rescuer. This is the one that I've been waiting for thousands of years, my plan to bring him to the point where he can rescue you. This is your king. This is the Messiah. This is the high point for Jesus. And then right after that, right after that moment, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Into the world, owners. You say, I'm not really sure Jesus is relevant to my life. Jesus is extremely relevant to your life. He is and wants to be your rescuer. Some of you say, well, I don't, I believe Jesus is relevant to my life, but I'm not yet ready to fully follow him all the way. Here's some good news. Because Jesus is, was baptized because he went into the waters of baptize, baptism and came up and identified with humans jesus would say this to you i'm very relevant to your life but i fully also understand why you don't think i'm relevant to you but i want you to trust me he a lot he may, was an ally with sinners He he understands us. He understands your questions about him. He understands your frustrations with him. He understands all of it because he was with us, and then he absolutely wanted to identify with us. So Jesus stands in the gap for you if you're willing to trust him. But he's in the gap for you, and he wants to, rescue you and here's what happened to him he, he was from the waters of baptism he gets out of the waters of baptism and he is sent off by the spirit into the wilderness and all through the old testament just keeps replaying and he, jesus is reliving and re-walking the nation of israel's steps the nation of israel was delivered from egypt they were brought through the waters of the red sea and then they were in the wilderness for 40 years and the wilderness in the bible is always a dark difficult hard place it's not the place you want to hang out and jesus was led out by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil god allowed this he sent him out there to say listen this is my son whom i'm well pleased now i'm going to test him and matthew's saying this is why this is in here how do we know about this account i don't know because jesus was by himself when matthew 4 1-11 through so my possible imagination is the disciples were with jesus they're walking around hanging out with them and they are getting beat up by sin and temptation and struggle and the difficulties of life and maybe one of them said to jesus hey man do you ever have a hard difficult day and jesus sat down with him and said you know boys there was a time right after my baptism and the spirit led me into the wilderness And I was in there for 40 days and 40 nights, and I didn't eat nothing. And then Satan came, and he tempted me. Jesus is 100% man. He's 100% God. And he was sent out into this terrible, barren wilderness to be tempted and to struggle and to see what would come out of it. Would he end up and still be the rescuer or not? Then he he was given three tests by satan because when satan saw this, he thought yes, here's my chance This guy is a man I took adam out. No problem. I took out the nation of israel. No problem Give me that guy jesus I'll take him out But satan's very subtle, isn't he? He's very subtle in your life, isn't he? He doesn't come to you right after your greatest day, does he? Usually right after the greatest message you've ever heard or right after you've read the Bible and God really spoke to you and you're just like, yes, I can take on the world. Satan lets you think that for a little bit. But Satan's sneaky, isn't he? He'll he'll come to us when our Bible reasoning isn't that great. Or when things in life aren't going so good, we feel like we are in a deep wilderness. We lost our job. Our marriages aren't going well. Our kids are struggling. We are hurting physically. And that's where Jesus was. And then Satan says, let him get beat down a little bit. Let him get down. Let them be in a wilderness for a while. Well, let him wear them down. Then I'm going to pounce on them. That's how Satan comes to us. Very subtly he comes to us when we're struggling. And he gives us. That's what happened to Jesus. He had been in there for 40 days and 40 nights. He was weak. He was struggling. lost all kinds of weight, was, in, was by himself, lonely. And Satan comes to him, and it says to this, the first temptation. Verse 3, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's a man. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He was hungry. Ever been hungry? When I get hungry, I get very irritable. I'm a cranky man when I'm hungry. It doesn't take long for me to get cranky because uh, when when, I like to eat um, food. And Jesus was hungry. He was 100% man. Satan came to him and said, listen. Here's the temptation. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Satan wasn't questioning Jesus if he was the son of God. He watched him get baptized. He saw God speak to him. He watched the dove come down. It wasn't like Satan was asking, hey, are you the son of God? No, what Satan was saying to Jesus was, hey, since you're the son of God, since you are the son of God, do you really think it was God's plan for you to be out here hungry? If you're really the son of God... Do you really think God's going to want you to be difficult, to be struggling in this wilderness? Really? Is that really God's plan for you, to be struggling? I don't think so. you got the power. Turn those boulders into bread. What would you have done? I would have made a feast. Because I would have thought, yeah, I'm the son of God. God's my father. God's a good father. He wouldn't want me to struggle It's not what Jesus did. And he went back and he quoted from Deuteronomy 6 through 8, which all identifies him again with the nation of Israel and shows that Jesus is the true Israel. He is the king. He's the rescuer. He's the Messiah. Here's the temptation. Jesus is standing in the gap for you as your rescuer, and he was tempted because he was Satan coming to say to him, what kind of a son? will you be what kind of a rescuer will you be jesus he was going after jesus's discontent he had been hungry he hadn't eaten for 40 days he lost weight he was parched he was lonely he was miserable i'm sure he's a man 40 days with no food all by yourself he was discontent with now eating he was hungry it says So Satan came to him at his point of discontent and said, okay, are you going to follow God's plan? Or are you going to use your powers as the son of God and satisfy yourself? Doesn't he do that to you too? He said, I feel like I'm kind of in a wilderness. Satan's going to come to you at your point of discontent, where you are discontented. And he's going to say to you, you really think this is God's plan for you? You really think this is what God wants for you? This struggle, this difficulty, this illness? You really think that's God's desire for you? No. Figure out your own way. Self-satisfy yourself. Figure out your own path, because God's path isn't really that good for you. His test to Jesus was, really, is God going to care for you? And we feel that, don't we? We feel that when we struggle, when we're going through difficult times. The question that comes up is, do I believe God? Am I going to believe God? And this is what Jesus said. He was discontented. He was hungry. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I will not self-satisfied myself but I will obey the word of God. God does care for me. God cares for me no matter if I feel it right now or not. I know the word of God and God spoke it and so he cares for me. So I am not going to turn those rocks into bread because this is God's plan for me. This is God's direction for my life. And the same thing happens to us too. You may be discontent right now and satan's gonna say to you come on this can't be god's plan for you he isn't really for you god doesn't really care for you you got to do something else self-satisfy yourself reach out for the bottle and drink the bottle take some pills go to the computer look at something do something to self-satisfy yourself because god isn't with you he's abandoned you you don't need him jesus says, i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna stand with the word of god which makes jesus our rescuer he stands in the gap when we so often go to other things, Jesus would not do it. It was radical for him to say, no, I'm not going to do that. The second temptation, Jesus says, okay then, fine. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of a temple. Now, we don't really know exactly what kind of this was. was this, this was a cosmic battle between God and Satan, Jesus and Satan. He's in the wilderness. He doesn't have a lot of strength. He was 100% man. Did did he actually walk to this temple? Was this a visionary thing? We don't really know. We just know this is a true account of what happened. Satan took Jesus. And Jesus really knew and felt these temptations. It says, The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan says, Okay. Fine. You want to be a God Bible, a Bible person? You want to tell me God's words? Here's God's words to you. God's word says that if you, the son of God, will throw yourself down, no harm's going to come to you. He'll send his angels to protect you. You're going to be fine. Do it. Let's see if you really believe the words of God. Are you really going to trust the word of God? This was a test against God god's protection was jesus going to believe that god's going to be able to protect him that god was going to be able to bring him through the wilderness was he going to follow god's plan god's word and god's plan it was attesting testing him of god's love do you believe god loves you israel didn't do this and jesus said you know what satan jesus said to him again it is written You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He wasn't telling Satan, hey, I'm God, you can't test me. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was replying to Satan, Satan, you quoted scripture to me. Very good, you know your Bible. But you know what, Satan? It's wrong for me to put God to the test. And I'm not going to do it. The nation of Israel did. Exodus 17 says they were in the wilderness, wandering, and they were hungry. And they said, where's our water? God, you were supposed to love us. You're supposed to protect us. Where's our water? And it says they put God to the test and they failed. Jesus didn't do that. He's the true Israel. He did not fail. We fail, don't we? We struggle when it comes to this. God, are you really going to protect us? God, the economy's bad. I am physically hurting. It's tough right now, God. God. Are you going to really protect me? Are you going to believe God's word? Are you going to go down your way? Because Jesus said, I stand in the gap and I can rescue you because I believe God's word. And then the third third temptation, Satan came to him and said, And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of their world and their glory. We don't know what this was like. In some way, Jesus was taken to this high mountain and he just saw all the kingdoms. Maybe he saw all of Rome. Maybe he saw all of Europe. Maybe he saw all of America and all the kingdoms and everything that it had to offer him. And God, Satan said, hey, just bow down and worship me because I'm the prince of the power of the air. I am the kingdoms of the world. I'll give all of this to you. And Jesus said to him, gone Satan for it's written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve here was a temptation to Jesus to say hey I want to Satan you you're the son of God Satan says to Jesus and now my plan for you is I'll give you all this it's already promised to you you're going to have this Satan's temptation to Jesus was hey I want you to shortcut the plan shortcut the rescue plan that God has set up for your life and follow my way and you'll get everything that was already promised to you. Just get it a lot earlier. You just get it sooner. We like that, don't we? We love to do that when certain circumstances come up. We want things quick and easy. We want the shortcut. And so we will say, hey, I'll follow God. I want to be satisfied. So alcohol satisfies me more than Jesus does. Drugs satisfy me more than Jesus does. Money satisfies me. Sex satisfies me. Pornography satisfies me more than anything else. So I'll take the shortcut. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to accept The plan of God for my life, no matter how hard it is in this wilderness, no no matter how lonely I've been for the last 40 days, no matter how long I'm going to be in this wilderness of my life, I'm going to accept this as God's word said it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to follow it. Which means he chose at that moment the path of being a suffering servant. That if he followed God's word, he knew... Within a few years, he was going to go to a cross. He's going to be spit upon, beat up, and nailed to a cross and die innocently. But he accepted that as a suffering servant. That means Jesus is for you and he stands in the gap for you and can rescue you if you will let him. And then after these temptations and Jesus won, it says... Then the devil left him, but he didn't leave him alone. Satan kept coming back to Jesus, and he thought, I'm going to throw this guy off. I will do it. And he thought at the cross that he could do it. But it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus stands in the gap for us, and he stands in the gap for you and can rescue you if you will trust in him. And then after Jesus was in the wilderness, after he was tempted, after he was tried, the angels came and ministered to him. Jesus rests from his rescue work, and he calls you today to reach out to him. Could you just picture that? He went through, the, he went through all this trial, and all of a sudden Satan's gone. He's a man. He has been beat up emotionally and physically. I'm picturing Jesus just dropped to the ground. Whew. And then the angels came. And they brought him food and they lifted him it up and it encouraged him. And he was ready to go. We love a good rescue. Remember in 2001 and all these planes are going through buildings and there's a plane flying over Pennsylvania and the people in that plane They heard what's going on. And they know they're going to Washington, D.C., and people are going to die. And then a group of them, and one of them, a Wheaton College graduate named Todd Beamer, is on the phone with his wife. He says, We're going to die. If we don't do something to stop this plane, people are going to die. So we're going to stop this plane. I love you. Let's roll. And he gave up his life for others. That's the exact same thing Jesus did. I think when he's rescued by the angels, he's ministered to them. It's not done yet. That wasn't it for Jesus. But he was ministered to the, them by the angels. And Jesus, I can picture him getting fed. Taking a deep breath because he's a man. Looking up, locking in his eyes. and said, all right, let's roll. And he went through the rest of his life, focused, knowing that he was going to be a sacrificial servant For you and for me. And he was going to give up his life for ours. His life for yours. His life for mine. So what should that do for us? How does that help us? What it should do for us is, should say to us, we are not Jesus. We cannot rescue ourselves. We are not him. It should give unbelievable gratitude. And we should say, I need to receive that. My life's not going the way it should be. Things aren't right. I need some help. I can't find that satisfaction that I'm wanting to. And Jesus is saying to you right now, if you don't think he's relevant, just reach out, receive it, have gratitude, accept it, confess, believe, repent. And I will come in and rescue you with great gratitude. Jesus is not like us. We need to have great gratitude about that. We love our heroes, don't we? And these people who are so trained, so precision, so expert, they they know exactly, they're disciplined, they lead armies into war. We love them. And we say, that guy's not, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I'm not a general. I'm not that guy. I wish I was that guy. But then we find out, even this weekend, that the greatest that America can produce, even our great generals, are men just like us. And they fail. They can't fully rescue us either. We needed somebody who could. Jesus is the rescuer. So we need to have great gratitude for that and say, thank you, Jesus, and reach out and accept that. And then we need to say, hey, there's something else for me. Because he did that, that's a guide for me. That's a guide for my life. The word of God is true. No matter how I feel about it, no matter if I like it or not, I am not going to self-satisfy. I'm not going to say, God, this is my plan. I'll give you a few years to figure it out. And if you can't, I'll take over and do it my way. No. I'm going to take the word of God. I'm going to read it. I'm going to know it. And I'm going to follow it. Because that's the only way I'll be fully rescued. If you want complete satisfaction in life, if you want complete joy in the midst of great difficulty, in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great struggle, then hold on to the word of God and follow it and use it as your guide and it'll be the grace of God in your life. It's the way of a servant. It's the way of saying, I'll follow that. I'll follow that. I don't understand everything right now, God. I can't figure out why I'm not as happy as I would like to be. I can't figure out why I don't have as much money as I'd like. I can't figure out why my family's not quite where it's supposed to be, but I'm not going to give up right now. I'm going to hold on in great gratitude because you're my rescuer. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to hold on to your promises and your word, and I'm going to follow them. And then I know that this wilderness will not last forever. There is rescue for me. Jesus is committed to your rescue. So we can rejoice as believers in the midst of your present wilderness. Don't give up now just because you're discontented. Rejoice, resist the devil, and rest of all you are in Jesus Christ. He will rescue you. He will absolutely rescue you and transform your life. Jesus is your rescuer. The reason that passage is in here to say, I understand Jesus is I understand what it's like to be human, but I also am willing to not let that stop me from rescuing you. I am for you, not against you. I am mighty to save. So have great gratitude and let Jesus be our guide as we resist the devil and trust in his word. Jesus is mighty to save. Let's pray. As the prayer team's coming up here, and the worship team's come up, up here with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just gonna ask you, Do you believe Jesus is your rescuer? Are you trying right now in your life because you're going through some difficult times to rescue yourself? I would say, don't do it. Hold on to the word of God this morning. Repent, turn to him and say, I'm going to recommit to following your word and doing it your way. Maybe you don't know Jesus, but you say, somebody who would do that for me, I want to know. We would love to let you show you how you can know Jesus Christ in a personal way and how you can be rescued from your sin, the prayer team is up here. If you say, I just need someone to pray with me. I need some encouragement. They'd be glad to do that. You can come during the song, Mighty to Save. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that Jesus believed your word so that he could be the rescuer for us. Well, we all go through difficult times and we struggle. We thank you that we have hope in Jesus Christ and we can have hope. So God, I pray that there's somebody here who's ready to give up ready to go their own way. I pray that you would help them today to say, no, I'm going to follow the word of God. I'm going to trust in him. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray your Holy Spirit, you just wake them up to the truth of letting Jesus rescue them and give them, them hope. We thank you that you are mighty to save and help us to rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: never failing.